I was sitting on a plane waiting to take off to fly over to England to begin the tour, and there's a guy that came and sat down next to me. He looked like he was a little bit shaken. I, I assumed that he was afraid of flying, but he sat down and looked all frazzled. And I said, hey, buddy, how you doing? And he says, man, I think I'm going crazy. I said, why is that? He says, I was just in Memphis, and I pulled up to a stoplight in my car. I looked over to the right, and I saw Jerry Lawler pull up next to me driving the Batmobile. And I said, really? He said, yeah, and there's no way anybody's ever going to believe me. I said, well, buddy, I don't know if I believe it or not, but I want to believe it. And I want you to know that Jerry the King Lawler riding around in a Batmobile might be the greatest sentence I've ever heard. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in a hotel in Manchester, England and I'm jet lagged beyond belief, but I'm happy to be here and I can't wait to start this tour. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. And this is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Grant Showbiz. We had such a huge response last week with part one. Got a whole bunch of emails, just a lot of great feedback. People enjoyed it. But I'm really looking forward to sharing part two with you guys this week. I met Grant quite a few years ago while I was touring with Billy Bragg and got to travel around in a bus with him. And he's just always upbeat and fun to be around and has great stories, great road stories. So I was looking forward to sharing some of these with you guys. I caught up with Grant at his hotel room in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and we just chatted about a lot of different stuff. And like I said before, Grant is an extremely animated person. He's always upbeat, and he's kind of hard to keep on a microphone. So he was kicking around, and he would stand up and move around, and sometimes he got pretty far away from the mic. But I think it still sounds great, and you can uh, still hear everything he says. So here's part two of Grant Showbiz. Um, now, this is very interesting. Oh, yeah, for me, it's very interesting. I don't know. There's two things. Uh, the Frank Chickens, Japanese duo. Oh, there were three of them then. Were managed by Peter Jenner. I worked for the Frank Chickens and I was romantically involved with Kazuko Hoki, who was the main singer and leader of the Frank Chickens, I think we safely say, still is. Um, Frank Chickens, not the Frank Chickens, without the... Without the, the. Um, and Peter managed them. Now, Kazuko maintains that... I met Billy because Peter Jenner managed Frank Chickens. And it's very true that Frank Chickens went on a nationwide tour with Billy Bragg. And one day I must find out when that was. And now had I met them through, had I met him through Frank Chickens before that, I also think that 
I met them through the Smiths. Certainly in, and this is scary, it was in 84 that I met Bill. And he was doing the same bills as us. We did the Lyceum. We did um, the Greater London Council had a sort of, in those days, was a, was a kind of left-wing affair and they had lots of free gigs. And the Smiths and Billy played a large free gig. Um, I think it was called Jobs for Change or something like that. In in central London, very close to the Houses of Parliament. So I so I either met them, I met him in eighty four. I either met him via the Frank Chickens, or certainly once uh, we were doing an American tour. Was this eighty four or eighty five? I don't know. But uh, we'd we'd met Billy, and he was uh, you know he was big news in 84 he was kind of like you know it'd be that weird thing where we'd be front page then he'd be front page and then we'd kind of like and then maybe the jam would be front page and then be back to billy again uh, on 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 the nationwide music press and um and then he but he we we, we did a, a a tour of america where morrissey decided that female impersonators would be a great thing to have as a sport act not as i said the jock factor the jock factor we hadn't realised. And so that just resulted in just people fucking throwing thousands and thousands of people throwing bottles, anything they get hands on coins at these poor fucking people trying to do Madonna, uh, these men trying to do Madonna, <laughs> mime to Madonna, you know. And so we were kind of like, oh, my God, you know, we can't, they were just smashing up the place. You know, the, the promoters were like, you can't do this anymore. You know, this is dangerous. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and Billy was gone for hire in those days. Billy would go, you know, Billy would go anywhere and he could do it, you know, anything, he could do any show, any time. And so we got him in and I, I can remember very clearly sort of like, uh, you know, thinking all oh, well, that, you know, Bill's, uh, I think Peter Jenner was there. I suspect Wiggy was there as well, but it, they seemed like a little bunch of guys who were kind of like a little bit, you know, outside of the bubble of the Smiths. So I kind of like. I did the sound for Billy, and I and I'd known him from those the, those dates in '84, and uh, got on from there. Really. We were we were wild, man. We were so we were so wild when we you know there, uh, I mean compared to how we are now, which is fairly sedate. <laughs> but yeah, we were we were um, we were a wild bunch of guys. We were because the thing was in those days. You kind of after the gig, you went out to find what you didn't have, you know, which was fun, females, companionship, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and I can remember really clearly um, there was a band we, we we toured with a band called Weddings Parties Anything, who were Australian, and I think they wouldn't mind me saying that they like to drink. They really like to drink. Um, and so uh, we weren't sweet, you know, we weren't real drinkers, but but uh, they probably sucked. They sucked us into their their gravitational pull on, a, on a, an American tour. And they and I can remember them very clearly telling us about this thing they had, which is go nude, go nude. And that what they, they what they would do is they were um, they'd say they'd be at a party and one of them would say, go nude. And they'd all take off all their clothes and but just stand around. <laughs> Drinking and uh, you know and chatting still amiably and like you know people would be like what the fuck? <laughs> so uh, now we were in and I think it was in Boston. I think Wiggy was there, but I can't believe Wiggy took his clothes off. But um, 
and we were drunk and we went to a party and it was probably one of those things where we went to a party of someone who hadn't been to the gig and knew nothing who didn't you know we were just like leery english people maybe some of weddings parties anything were there as well and of course it would be a really good idea you know these guys did it all the time in australia let's do the go nude thing you know uh, but you know we weren't a, you've got to remember they didn't know who we were <laughs> you know we weren't like this guy's just played the gig it's really great he's at our party it was just like these english people and perhaps a couple of australian people are really drunk and they're at our party that's cool that's okay you know we don't mind so we went nude you know and it wasn't funny it was scary it was really funny because we, we were you know we were we were in a room and i remember really clearly like you know that thing where you're like You've been drunk, but you're not quite as drunk as you are before. And you kind of, you've got no clothes on and you're talking to people and gradually everyone in the room is leaving the room <laughs> and you're in a strange house with people you don't know who are obviously really disturbed by what you've done, you know, and I, I, I can just remember really sheepishly, like, you know, after about half an hour, putting our clothes on and just leaving, you know, that way. <laughs> And I just pray to God that all the people at that party were killed in some strange coaching accident. So you know, no one will ever actually, who was there, will have had to suffer the memory of it. Yeah. Oh, I'm the producer. Ah, uh, yeah, that's part of the whole, uh, part of the whole um, fight with Wilco was based around that, really. A lot of that, because, uh, uh, you know, I think... I mean, it was just a wonderful thing that Peter and Billy did. And, I, you know, it's ever in a day to have been to helm that project is one of the highlights of my producer career. But I suspect that no one ever really told Wilco that that was what I was doing. And, um, you know, we started off in King Size in Chicago. And... Um, And I just sat in the room, just saying, okay, let's do another one. Let's do another one. Because they, they, they had all the tunes and they kind of, they played them together. And, um, and I think Wilco were probably a little bit more into doing, you know, like a lot of, a lot of thinking about what they were doing. But we were just bashing these songs out. And I was just sitting in the control room going, this is great. Let's do it. Yeah, come on. Let's do another one, you know. And they were a little bit like, why is this guy telling us to do? But they did. In the, that thing when you just met, you know, it's like when you just met your girlfriend, you don't, you don't mention the mole on their face. And I was the mole on the face of the session. You know, it's like, why? He's got a mole. It's a moly, moly, mole. Don't mention the mole. Um, and I was like the mole that shouldn't be mentioned. But we just, you know, I was like, this is fantastic. That, you know, because Wilco were astonished. You know, that band, Ken Kuma, um, dear old, what's his face? Jay, you know, Jay, incredible man. And of course, Jeff and, and John, you know, they were just all, they were, the thing about that, that I don't think anyone ever touches on was that was the, Wilco were out, you know, they were just about to go and make a sort of new wave album. Well, they were simultaneously making a new wave album, the, the something mouth, summer, summer mouth, teeth. cotton mouth, summer, summer teeth. teeth, summer teeth. Um, so, it was the culmination of all that kind of, um, it wasn't like under the Wilco name. It was a Billy Bragg project. You know, we bought, we bought Wilco in and we'd looked at other bands as well before that, but, but, but Wilco were the right decision. And um, so they had a freedom there and then, uh, and then throw me in as well, kind of like 
just push, shove, shove, push. So that we probably, you know, we probably recorded like 14 songs or something in that. I don't know how long the King Size sessions went on. And, you know, they probably, they were all demos. They were going to be demos, you know, so we'd have to worry about them. And they just became the basis for the, for the whole project. We just used those stuff because it was just so great. And so, you know, um, some of it was so off the wall. Um, and a lot, you know, a lot is made of the fact that we recorded the majority of it in Ireland in a huge warehouse, which is why it sounds like it does. Um, and the great work of the engineer, the engineer, fantastic old school engineer who um, was deaf in one ear and would fall asleep during the sessions. But we were, you know, Jerry boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. And he was, um, you know, and he's like an old folky guy and he did, he did early, um, Billy, he's like one of those guys like John Wood. Do you know who John Wood is? But John Wood was, is, is, I've never worked with him, but it's supposed to be quite grumpy. But Jerry Boyce was like, uh, you know, he was like Fairport Convention and, and Richard Thompson and all those people. So, and he had his own studio, which Billy had recorded an album called Livingston Studios. And he was just great. But he, I, the thing he'd done was he'd just done uh, Buena Vista Social Club. That was his, it was his shtick. But yeah, definitely. But, but fantastic, because he would be, I'd be like, <laughs> I am going to appreciate it now, because I'm probably approaching, approaching the age that Jerry was at that time. But I'd turn around to Jerry, and I'd say something like, was that, you know, that was a good take. And he'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if I was on his deaf side, he couldn't hear me, you know, so I'd be talking to him, and I'd have to get on the other side. <laughs> And actually wake him up because he's never <laughs> going to hear me on this side. But he, he just said, you know, it has to be said that he, he was a abs and probably still is an absolutely genius, genius engineer. And again, he was part of that mix that made it all great, you know. There's probably 14 or 15 of the songs were actually recorded and the basis of them were actually recorded in this tiny little king-sized little studio in 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 chicago and then we went we, we went to ireland and um i mean i come from an a i i'm that old that i grew up with the beatles so it was like the beatles that's what it was like it was like the, it was like a really good let it be we had all oh, we had two drum kits set up we had billy and uh jeff in like a tiny little kind of booth that we'd made so there was nothing in the studio it was just a rehearsal room with a 60 foot high ceiling probably about a hundred, hundred foot wide by maybe 200 foot long. Um, and we, so we built like, I don't know how we did it. We maybe have old doors. So they were in this little kind of like rickety shack in the middle of this circular stuff of keyboards, guitars, two drum kits. And they would just literally go in and, you know, Jay would be on the drums and uh, we'd just make this music, no click tracks, all to tape. Um, and I can remember missing one take and Jeff was so angry with me. I missed one take in the whole, the whole sessions, we missed one take. And I go, it was, so, he fucking really fucking screamed at me that I never, which is a really clever thing to do because I never missed another take, which is why, you know, there's a volume three now. I recorded every fart and fucking sneeze <laughs> that went on in that studio. I was not going to miss a single take. Yeah. You know. Um, Do you think that maybe part of him yelling at you was because he couldn't yell at Billy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I have to say that, uh, you know, in my, you know, in my own egocentric way, um, 
I feel that uh, it would have collaped. Maybe if, if they'd been another producer, but I think if they'd been doing it themselves, it would have collapsed because uh, Billy got very, very angry with me. Jeff got very, very angry with me. Um, and so, like you say, they weren't getting angry at each other. And so there was the, the, they, they had just a fantastic... That their competition was to, like, God, he's written a brilliant song. I'm going to write a better song than that, you know. Oh, man, that's an amazing song. I'm going to make an even better. So that was how they did it. It was an amazing competition of, like, oh, my God, you know. And, um, you know, very famously, uh, Jeff stayed on American time. Good old <laughs> Jeff stayed on American time in Dublin, which is fucking difficult, right? It's really, I mean, you've been to, you know. So to actually wake up. When it's waking up time in America and to go to bed when it's going to bed time in America, it's pretty damn hard to do. You know, I don't know how long we were there. We were there for three weeks, maybe, I don't know, maybe a month. Um, but that was just, a, that was the brilliant, and that was, again, you know, you just sort of think, how do how these things fall into place? So that was brilliant because it meant that we had the band and Billy without them looking over their shoulder to see what well what Jeff was thinking about what they were doing, you know, which they very were, as soon as Jeff was in the room, you know, Jeff was the leader of the band, you know, they, they, everything that Jeff did was, it was Jeff, 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 uh, which is the way it has to be, I guess, uh, in, 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 in these things. But, uh, but when he wasn't there, they had this amazing freedom, so we could just go off and we could do whatever we wanted, we could play, you know, and I think, that, you know, Bill's been quoted and it's very true, you know, we could be The Clash, we could be The Beatles, we could be Ian Jury, could just do anything we wanted. We could be Bob Dylan. And we were just so we did, you know, the 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 only tragedy for me about the Mermaid Avenue sessions is that we haven't uh we didn't then do the multiple ver you know, we did every single song that was recorded we put out, I think, for maybe three songs that just didn't seem to fit in the programming when I was putting the last the volume three together. But I'd love to do a volume of uh, the different versions because we've got the rockabilly version of uh, All You Fascists Are Bound to Lose. You know, we've got the, uh, you know, the prog rock version of something else. You know, I mean, we would do kind of crazy shit. You know, they, they, that, that whole um, cheap trick thing that, that Wilco like, you know, we'd do the cheap trick version, which was just sort of slightly like, okay, we'll do this, <laughs> but it does sound very rocky to us, you know. <laughs> Would somebody just say right out, we're going to do the Keem Crimson version? No, not really. That? It would be kind of like it would start to happen. I don't know. You know, Jay would have a Jay was very important to those sessions. Jay was probably, he was probably, I mean, again, I'm. I... Did you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Jay was amazing. Jay was just incredible. And I think, again, that thing that he, um, being freed from the shackles of Jeff, you know, like a Lennon and McCartney thing, you know, just to, just to be freed up and not to have to think, what does Jeff think about this? So he, he, he kind of like, he was just so free ranging. And I think, um, you know, both him and Jeff had uh, well-documented problems with uh, drugs. And I think uh, but there's a kind of wonderful thing that drugs do to you sometimes that, you know, and the terrible thing is they don't do it for you all the time. And then it may well be in that, that Jeff was just in the right space and the drugs were just doing the right thing. They weren't 
taking out of, you know, they weren't destroying him, but they were giving him a kind of looseness and relaxation. And a, he, he was like, in a very relaxed way, he was just showing us what a fucking genius he was, you know. Not in a, you know, not in a like, portentous kind of like, I'm the great man thing, but he was like, yeah, I'll play drums on this. Oh, just, oh some great, I got a great idea for keyboards here, you know. And he'd be like, play, please play it, because whatever you do is astonishing, you know. So he could pick up anything, make it sound great, his melodious ideas. I guess Jeff, Jeff was listening to him still where uh, and i've never seen that documentary about the making of summer teeth but obviously once summer teeth started they were you know the drugs were beginning to not work anymore and jay had taken on too much and jeff was taking on an adversarial position but i think in the mermaid avenue uh sessions sometimes just by his absence jeff was being very supportive to jay he was like get on with it you know you seem to be doing great you know, the thing you did yesterday when i wasn't here is great so maybe if i'm not here again i don't think that so it felt like a guy at the top of his game but you know um it's kind of a johnny Marr-esque thing as well because you don't you know you kind of know you're good but you're not you don't think you're at the top of your game it's just what's happening it's like the sunshine. It's like the rain. It isn't like it's some elemental thing. So I felt like Jay wasn't trying. The same way that Johnny didn't seem to be trying. It just came out of him like a fucking, like I say, like sunshine, like rain. It was just a, a so it was, it was, a, I think it was just a perfect, a perfect storm. And again, you know, by complete luck, I was in the center of it, you know, which is great. And I, you know, to keep track of it, I wish I'd kept the, uh, I had a fantastic wall chart where we had like, you know, the 45 songs written down on a list and then you know drums bass guitar keyboards have we have we done that you know have we have we got through all those things so it was just just a, a wonderful time despite you know the um despite you know the agony i mean i can remember turning around to bill and say oh what are we going to do now and bill said i don't know i have no idea what we're doing aren't you aren't you producing don't you know what's happening you know i'm thinking so there was nowhere to turn i was turning to Je you know i couldn't turn to jeff you know the gang the gang the wilco gang you couldn't you know you couldn't turn to them because they were the, you know they were the gang uh and, and, and you know it was very clear that by then that they, they were like, a little bit you know why is he still here what does he do? He can't play a mandolin, you know. The guy can't even play a ziver, you know. Why are we listening to him? He doesn't know what a fucking diminished seventh is. Um, and, 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 you know, and Bill also, you know, it's like, oh, I'm very forlorn here. But, you know, if the, the um, I kind of remember the name of the engineer. He was the mainstay. And the great thing was that, um, you know, although he had um, a tremendous amount of experience, he listened to me. And, you know, he thought I was the guy in charge. So, you know, by by default, I was. And Peter Jenner was, uh, Billy's manager was always very, uh, was always very kind. You said that there were other bands considered. Uh, yeah, I can, you... oh, the only band I can remember is Old 96. The Old 96s? Old, old, 90, old 97s. Old 97s, okay. there you go, so close. That was, that was the band that we, we, spoke about and i well, did we contact them beforehand i don't know because the thing was like you know the, the thing was our the wilco thing 
was fairly short in Ireland and we then did go to Boston and do a lot. We did, you know, the uh, Natalie Merchant stuff in Boston. And then I stayed on and went to U2's studio and did, uh, you know, uh, the uh, some a lot of, some solo songs we built and in, in did, started the mixing there once Wilco went home. And that was where the kind of problems became because, uh, you know, Wilco wanted to remix the mixes that I'd done. And they'd kind of... Um, you know, overdubbed what appeared to be about another hundred guitars onto each track that we'd done. And it was like, oh no, this sounds a bit, and it kind of, it just made it all, it made, it wouldn't have sounded, it would have sounded more like Summer Teeth, you know, if, if they'd if they'd had their way. And uh, it was at that point, which, uh, you know, Billy, to, to my great joy and happiness, sort of said, you know, Grant's mixes are the ones that are going to, you know, are going to do it. So, and uh, you know the, the the credits reads produced by Billy Bragg, Wilco, and Grant Showbiz, and I think that was the kind of that was the kind of compromise we came to with Wilco, and that's fine. I mean, and even uh, even recently, um, you know, I get producers royalties on 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 tracks that I produced, and we were doing the third album, and I was talking to uh, the label in New York. And they were none saying, such. yeah, none such. Thank you. And they were sort of saying, well, you know, Jeff won't let you, you know, Jeff says you didn't produce that. And I was like, okay, that was a track that I produced entirely by my, you know, I mixed and produced entirely after they'd gone back to America. But if Jeff can't remember, none such were like, <laughs> look, you know, Jeff says you didn't do it. And I was like, okay, well, I did do it, but if, that's gonna if that's gonna make it work, I'll just say I didn't. So there was a bit of that going on, and you know there was a great. I had a great email from Jeff saying, "Who wrote these songs?" Because <laughs> I was like, "Didn't did Jay write these songs?" And I was like, "I just yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> you know, because there was there was a whole bunch of songs he hadn't he couldn't remember. You know, from the sessions when I started digging them out, when I found that that the whatever it is, the 15, 16 tracks for the for volume three. I did get an email saying, like, who wrote these songs? I thought, yeah, but you don't know who wrote the songs, but you know that I, that, that track that I mixed entirely by myself in the studio. Actually, I did a mix. <laughs> That's fine. I don't mind. That's cool. Well, thank you uh, for meeting up with me. It's, it's beautiful to see you again. It's lovely to see you. It's great. It's a to... great pleasure. And this is a great thing you're doing. So. We need to stop hanging out in hotel rooms, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Grant for meeting up with me at a hotel room in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. 
And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.